Episode 4. Welcome to the show. It's been a difficult week here. We're coping with the death in the family. Well, not quite like that. We had to cut down the Japanese maple tree from our front yard. Such a beautiful tree. Sierra's taking it really bad. I know I joke around a lot, and you might think, Hey Andy, it's just a tree. And yes, it is just a tree. But she's really devastated. Here, have a listen. I really love that tree. You loved it, I know. Oh my darling. I love you so. I love that you care so much about the trees. And I care about animals. I know you care so much I about I care it. about living things. You do, I know. But I don't care about bugs at all. Well, everyone draws the line somewhere. It was a lovely tree, but sometimes things die. It's Did very... we kill it? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't have let the other trees grow near it, the other ones at the front. There's lots of maybes. We don't really know. I really, really want to know the question. Uh, yeah. I, it I could see... have just been very old, sweetheart. It could have just died. And if I see any bugs ever again, I'll kill them with Are you blaming the bugs? Yeah. There was it? there was bugs eating it, but the bugs might be the bugs. You know what bugs do best? They're kind of like they clean up things that die. That's one of the main things that they do. They but do they a really. Kill it. I don't know. But Sometimes. We don't know. Oh my little love, such big feelings. So yeah, I've got to work out how we can help her. So this is going to be a death episode. We're going to review a few death podcasts. Maybe figure something out along the way. I've also been thinking a lot about grief lately, having uh, lived through another big state funeral here in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago when we were all told that we were mourning the death of George Herbert Walker Bush. Yeah, we're all supposed to be tearing ourselves apart over the passing of this great statesman, this polite president who never openly boasted about sexually assaulting women. This president who never launched phony national emergencies to cover up his crimes. Oh no, wait, scratch that. There was the illegal invasion of Panama. He was also clearly one of the main architects of Iran-Contra, with his buddy Oliver North. You remember how they sold weapons to Iran, defying an international ban? And he did it in secret, from Congress and the American people, to fund the Panamanian Contras in an obvious extension of all the Operation Condor stuff he pulled when he was head of the CIA. But yeah, death of a great statesman was the media narrative. Such a sweet old man. So unlike the current president who cusses out people on Twitter. Am I in the fucking twilight zone? The guy was a lying, mass-murdering, racist scumbag. Okay, now, you probably think I'm overstating a political dislike there, but... Stick with me. I'm not. Let's break it down word by word. First up, lying. Back when he was the Republican primary challenger against Reagan in 1980, he went around criticizing Reagan's insane deficit ballooning, reward the rich and fuck everyone else, trickle down financial fantasies as voodoo economics. Then, when he became vice president, he had to eat crow and backtrack 
on his socialist-sounding voodoo economics bit. This was his response. Well, what I said back then, it's, it's very hard to find the... You know, actually, let me start over. One, I didn't say it. Nobody, every network's looked for it and none can find it. It was never said. I know this is old news, but listen to his tone here. His outright indignation. I mean, how dare we question what he has said before? One, I didn't say it. It was never said. You want to know where Trump and fellow Yaley Brett Kavanaugh come from? It's right here, 1982. He's a rich Ivy League former director of the CIA. How dare we remember what he said previously? The normal rules don't apply to him. And of course he did say it. He said it rather a lot, like this time from Carnegie Mellon University, April 10th, 1980. So what I'm saying is that, that it's, uh, it just isn't going to work. And it's very interesting that the man who invested this type of what I call a voodoo economic policy. So yeah, George H. W. Bush, a dead liar who paved the way for the Brett Kavanaugh's and Trump's of today. What was my next one? Oh yeah, mass murderer. Well, this one's relatively easy. Just read upon your CIA history. Operation Condor in particular. He was head of the CIA and he worked for them straight out of Yale. Got honorable mentions in memos from J. Edgar Hoover to Nixon as early as 1961. I mean, every major player in the Bay of Pigs Cuba invasion fiasco was a skull and bone society member from Yale. And the Bush family, the Bush and Walker families had major sugar plantation holdings in Cuba, which they lost. I mean, how dare you steal back our slave-run sugar plantations, Cuba? But a little beside the point, he worked at the highest levels of the CIA and became its leader. Operation Condor was a United States campaign of political repression and extermination of dissidents, democratic socialists, union and peasant leaders, priests, nuns, students and teachers, and anyone, the right-wing fascists in Argentina, Chile, Uruguay, Paraguay, Bolivia, Brazil, Ecuador, Peru, could get away with painting as a Marxist guerrilla. We don't have exact numbers on the mass murder facilitated by Operation Condor, but very conservative estimates put it at at least 60,000. We're talking General Pinochet overthrowing democratically elected socialist Salvador Allende, and a good dozen more documented actions and coups, like training the Argentine death squads in the dirty war. Check out the Mothers of the Plaza de Mayo. Okay, so that's one direct link to mass murder. And I know apologists will say that when viewed in the context of the Cold War, funding and training fascist death squads is acceptable. But actually, no, it isn't acceptable. You're committing mass murder. And you're doing it in secret because of an imaginary bogeyman that you've created. And then to add the fact that it also just happens that your class interests and your country club Ivy League friends directly benefit and profit from this mass murder of peasants just trying to collectivize, then it's starting to look like something very different. All the time they push this and they get away with it. Got to fight the big bad socialist bogeyman. A bogeyman, I might add, that wouldn't fly for a fucking second if it was brought before the House and Senate because old Joe McCarthy, the senator from Wisconsin, thoroughly played out that crappy hand in the 1950s to the point whereby a special counsel from the army had to browbeat the Senate back into some form of sanity. 
And so now his name, McCarthyism, literally means the practice of making accusations of subversion or treason without evidence or due legal process. So yeah, there's that mass murder, Operation Condor. But if that's not good enough for you, you're perhaps not sure of his direct ownership of the spy agency he was in his entire life, because it was all secret, of course, then let's look at something more openly documented, like the United States invasion of Panama, codename Operation Just Cause, or as I like to call it, Operation Just Because I failed to get you with my Iran-Contra scheme and I need to boost my poll numbers and test some new weapons. It was an illegal invasion, according to the UN. Our good old US military bombed the shit out of a civilian neighbourhood, 4,000 wood-framed houses destroyed by 442 bombs in the first 12 hours of the invasion. Thousands of civilians buried like dogs. Relatives are still trying to get the story out. The barracks of Noriega's CIA-trained Panamanian Defence Force it was invaded, and the cadets were lined up and shot against walls, execution-style. And then, Manuel Noriega, a former CIA-backed asset, a former direct employee of George Herbert Walker Bush, is captured and taken to Miami for some of that amazing Florida justice we keep having to swallow. Florida justice. The best justice Republicans can buy. So Noriega, he gets charged with drug trafficking and money laundering. This, from the people directly responsible for Iran-Contra. Literally weapon smuggling and money laundering. And even in this Florida court, they can't even make these fake charges fit without the testimony of over 30 Medellin cartel already convicted drug smugglers who Florida Justice then releases, restoring all their millions back to them in many cases, their fortunes from drug trafficking. Many of whom then go on record years later and recount their testimony against Noriega, stating that they never even met him. It's insane. Just go research it. If you think I'm some kind of conspiracy theorist, it's all out there in plain sight. Go and watch the winner of the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature from 1992. It was a film called The Panama Deception, about this invasion and mass murder. You can even watch it for free online at freedocumentaries.org. You've got no excuses. So what do we have today? Today we have many historians pointing to Panama and drawing a direct line from that to, you know, the Russian invasion of Crimea. Via, who could forget, George Bush Jr. invasion of Iraq. A stunt war launched on outright proven lies. This time, the fabrication of the weapons of mass destruction from our friends at the CIA. A war to topple a former CIA asset and operative in Saddam Hussein. Because I don't, I don't really know why. We're at the point now where they get caught in lies and there are no consequences. Because war is good for business and they can spew out endless amounts of patriotic bullshit and fear and resurrect all the old McCarthyist bogeymen to support their war for profit model. And even when political operatives like W get cocky and sort of slip the leash and thinks he can or shucks his way through the truth, like this from 2007. One of the problems, not specifically on this issue, just in general, that, uh, that um, uh, let's put it this way, money trumps um, peace sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes, you think, how about every fucking time? Nuts.
So yeah, where were we? George Herbert Walker Bush. A dead, lying, mass murderer. What was next? Oh yeah, racist. Well, let's see. His election campaign for president originated the modern Republican white nationalist fear of the black man with that Willie Horton campaign ad. Check it out. Ever wonder how you get to the point in a society that is supposed to be free and open and fair, but in which black males can be shot by cops in their cars, like Philandro Castile during routine traffic stops, or choked to death on the street corners like Freddie Gray? It starts with conditioning white society and the police structure to fear black men, to see them as criminals and dangerous, to systematically protect the police by making kids give up their rights to proper trials and accept plea deals with the threat of massive jail time. It starts with propaganda from George H.W. Bush. It starts with the Willie Horton ad. It doesn't take much in a country that has still never recovered from or resolved its racist slave history. Then you brand cocaine as crack and you over-police crack in black communities while white cocaine users get an endless series of mulligans and safe passes to rehab rather than the private prison chain gangs reserved for black males. So no, he wasn't an out-and-out obvious clan hood wearing let's lynch all black people racist, but he was a far more vicious and systematic one, one who thought it was okay to use the police to set up and frame a black kid, Keith Jackson, a few blocks from the White House to prove a point about the lawlessness of black communities. You remember him there in the Oval Office, waving around a bag of crack, like he's just won the lottery, lecturing the nation on a crack epidemic that suspiciously all his law enforcement agencies, his customs, his massively funded US military, his buddies in the CIA, every one of them directly under his executive control has let happen. He didn't just frame Keith Jackson, he framed entire cities, he framed communities across the nation. Let's blame the victims of crack. Let's police them. This is why we are here, people. This is how Trump can come along and be accepted as a political choice on a platform of spreading racist insinuation about Obama's citizenship and Mexican immigrants. So yeah, George Herbert Walker Bush. A dead, lying, mass murderer, racist. So what's left? Oh yeah, scumbag. Well, let's just say I have my reasons. A few minutes ago, we, we were in a room full of kids with AIDS, and we could just feel the courage and the character of the doctors and the nurses and the parents and the counselors. And being with them, uh, I thought of how there is no reason to fear for your health, just their health.
today I'm reviewing some podcasts about death. Big subject, I know. Lots of podcasts out there, and I'm sure we'll return to the subject again in the future. But for now, we'll start with these few. First up, Death by Misadventure. This is a podcast from a team of astrologers who do biopics of dead rock stars with heavy-handed spooky and suspenseful music under their narration. Because, um, well, I guess it's a common and tedious trope that death is spooky and mysterious. And I suppose it is spooky and mysterious if you want to pretend you have some special magic powers to understand the mystery of life. Because, well, I don't know. I don't know. Why do people do this? Big question, but an important one for humanity in uh, 2019. Why do so many people pretend to have magic knowledge into the world and the afterlife? Is it because it's a fun game to play? Is it because it boosts your ego? Maybe it's just about the Benjamins, like most things. I suppose it is a solid business play. I mean, look at all the money being raked in by all the religious cod schemes, like LDS, the Catholic Church, Scientology, followers of Mohammed, the cult of celebrity, etc, etc. And they think, hey, I can pretend to really know what's going on, and there's money in it, and no one's going to stop me. So look at this. Tom Petty was a charming Libra, and his moon in Aquarius made him have strong likes and dislikes. Yeah, like a, a strong lack of heroin, for example. I'm sorry, Your Honour, I'm not a drug addict. I'm a Libra. Yes, I'm sorry to say this show does sink to this level of stupid. Because, obviously, people who aren't Libras don't have strong likes or dislikes. We're all just preferenceless drones. Floating along our preordained paths in the stunningly wrong and tedious geography of the Zodiac. Well, here's a strong preference for you from a non-Libra too. This show sucks big time. Okay, some of the production is strong. It has a nice website with uh, nice with sketch drawings of their subjects, Prince, Mark Boland, Kurt Cobain, etc. And some of the narrators clearly have a real passion for music. They are corpse robbing with some skill and they've clearly read up on their subjects and worked on their scripts and delivery. But then they shackle themselves to this bizarre astrology thing. You know, it's kind of funny if you want to listen to it. It reminds me of that scene in Spinal Tap when uh, Nigel gets rid of their manager and puts his girlfriend Janine in charge. And the first thing she does as they start to lose money and gigs is to do the astral chart of the band to understand their next move. What I'm saying is the imposition of the astrology agenda on rock history is bizarre. It's like me doing a history podcast that highlights the role of shoes in world affairs. And yes, this is something suggested by my sponsors. In 1938, Neville Chamberlain, the Prime Minister of England, travelled to Munich in a pair of low-backed cushioned Oxfords. But meanwhile, in Austria, Adolf Hitler was preparing to showcase the new black-embossed leather-top SS Army jackboot. Anyway, Death by Misadventure gets... Uh, I guess I guess I'll give it one star for the British co-host who sounds a bit like John Ronson. Um, two thumbs down for exhuming memories of dead celebrities, just to add to the vast wealth of ignorance on display by the human race. And it gets a uh, confused dog, a hallelujah burp, and a command from Zeus. Just stop it. 
I'd like to point out that that was really Zeus. It really was, and uh, you can't prove it wasn't Zeus from Mount Olympus. Because, you know, the burden of proof is uh, on you, apparently. Because that's how God works in this country, and uh, I don't make the rules. Prayer isn't a childish superstition. Jesus is magic, Andy. Uh, the Virgin Mary was impregnated by a gang of leprechauns, and uh, that's why she gave birth to a lily-white-skinned messiah in the dark-skinned Middle East. You can't prove that it's not so. Okay, enough of that. Next up is... Death in the Afternoon. And no, I'm not talking about the absinthe and champagne cocktail invented by Ernest Hemingway. I'm talking about the great podcast from a group called The Order of the Good Death. These are a group of uh, funeral professionals, morticians, academics, and artists who are exploring ways for people in our death-phobic culture to embrace and enjoy our own mortality. How excellent. Now, The Order was founded by a mortician called uh, Caitlin Doughty, and she is the main host of the podcast, which has just wrapped up one season. This show is witty and intelligent and packed full of fascinating stories and insights into the business and culture of dying and disposing of bodies. Caitlin is very funny, and she will have you laughing out loud as she geeks out about all aspects of the mortuary business while lifting the curtain on an industry people don't really know much about. Because she's right, we live in a death-phobic culture. Death is to be ignored as long as possible, except when I suppose it's faked and fetishized about endlessly in various forms of stylized Hollywood entertainment. Her co-hosts on the show, Sarah Chavez and uh, Louise Hung, are equally compelling storytellers, and each episode bring you entertaining tales of the macabre, uh, backed up with fascinating facts about things like... Uh, Sokushibitsu. I said that wrong. Sokushimbutsu, the ancient Japanese practice of self-mummification. Or Abraham Lincoln's 1865 embalmed corpse tour, which he visited 180 cities across the country. Go and subscribe to the show now and become a deathling. So uh, they will definitely do another season and then maybe we can all start opening up about our own mortality and that will make it easier for us all to have extreme embalming for our funerals, where we can be posed in fitting dioramas uh, with our treasures, habits, and hobbies all around us. I mean, honestly, it's a thing. It's an option, people. We can do it. You don't have to go to a church or stare off funeral home. You can be fixed in your favorite easy chair or mounted on your surfboard or behind your drums, bashing out your favorite tune anywhere. Okay, so, death in the afternoon, five stars for sure, two thumbs up. And let's see, a uh, spark of electricity. It's alive. It's alive! And all the marbles. Okay, next up is uh, Coroner Talk with uh, Darren Date. Now, um, what to say? This, this is a doozy. And yes, it just lost a star for making me say doozy. This is a long-running show, and it proudly boasts to be the only deaf investigation show made by and for coroners on iTunes. The host is a coroner from Crawford County, Missouri. He sounds a bit like Roscoe, the idiot cop from Dukes of Hazard. Here he is. Now, you end up on my table, naked and dead. The first thing I want to do is look south of your waist. And if you have a penis, 
you're a man. If I have to lift up your skirt to look to see that you're a man, you're still a man, and I'm going to say that you're male. Yeah, that's the coroner, uh, not Roscoe, from a very dark episode of Dukes of Hazard. Don't get mad at me. Don't get upset with me. And you know what? If you want to send me hate mail after today's show, that's fine. Yeah, m- more about that in a minute. Now, I will say, Darren does know his business, death investigation. He's literally written the book on auto-erotic fatalities. I don't know. It must be a Missouri thing. But hey, maybe if there's been a suspiciously high proportion of auto-erotic asphyxiation fatalities amongst black males in and around the St. Louis-Jefferson City area, somebody should probably investigate. You know what they say, a lynching by any other name is just as clan. And, uh, of course, now that Trump has put an actual KKK slogan, Make America Great Again, on those red hats, extra vigilance is probably the way to go. Anyway, the show is pretty fascinating. True crime fans or crime writers out there should check it out because every episode is full of information about all kinds of death investigations. We're talking episodes on bone identification resources, external body exam panel discussions, uh, cadaver dog use and training. He just did one on Indian burials, uh, uh, the Choctaw bone pickers that... uh, that Caitlin actually might like from uh, Death in the Afternoon. So, Darren Dake, he is a straight-shooting coroner, dishing it on his life with corpses, and, you know, he's interested in training future coroners. He often has guests on. Uh, On one episode, he had uh, a woman who had to identify her husband's rotting head, and he conducted the interview to glean insights as to how coroners and police could have handled the difficult situation better. So, you know, he drops bits of wisdom during the interview, like, you know, coroners have to be cold and aloof sometimes to protect ourselves from the horror that we see. Uh, But the goal is to try and be compassionate and supporting. It's an interesting listen. As you listen, he explains his biases. You know, he's a a God-fearing Christian white male from Missouri. He believes in heaven and hell, the whole bit. He's clearly steeped in police culture. So, Probably outside of his industry publications, you know, it's all Fox News and right-wing propaganda. So, of course, he loses his mind from time to time about progressive societal changes like this. If you feel like you're a woman trapped in a man's body, yeah, I guess that sucks. That sucks for you because you're a woman trapped in a man's body. But you're still a man on the outside, and that's what matters to my death certificate. You know, he's truly upset about the transgender implications for the coroner. He's angry. It affects his business. This section of this episode is uh, is funny because he goes to great lengths to say how he's not homophobic or transphobic and he doesn't care what you do with your life or how you live it. But the way he says it, kind of like through gritted teeth and seeming reluctant defeat, is is kind of precious audio by itself. I don't hate gays. I don't hate transgendered. I don't hate that. I, I, I don't. What I'm trying to say is I've got a legal job to do. And when you're fighting me on my legal job because in your mind you're a pony, I don't care if you're a pony. I ain't calling a vet when you're sick. So anyway, he goes to great lengths to explain that he's not biased. And then, you know, in the next breath, he just literally invented a weird serial killer scenario to reinforce his own prejudices with the transgendered community. 
you're Margaret and you're a male. How long are you going to get by with crimes before you're caught because the law is allowing for you to fraud the government and fraud criminal due process? Let's set the record straight. Trans people are far more likely to be victims of crime than perpetrators of it. It's like the whole restroom use thing. The way Fox News and all the right-wing pretended to be afraid of molestation of minors, you know, if we allow trans people to use their restrooms of choice. But do we hear a peep out of them as we enter the 20th year of a gigantic and ongoing revelation about paedophile priests everywhere in the Catholic Church? Do we hear these people call for banning Catholic clergy from bathrooms? There's a mountain of evidence. There are convictions. They have spent billions and billions of dollars in hush money settlements all over the globe. But no, these people are scared of trans people being allowed a bit of dignity to go to the restroom of their choice. Look, his core basic point about the legality of his work as a coroner is right. You're going to get your legal an observable gender on your death certificate. You know, there's no real controversy there. But he doesn't have to start making fun of the gay and trans community as if they are demanding to be ponies. That's just rude and unnecessary. You are mocking and misrepresenting their position and by your very words and actions, you are confirming yourself as a bigot and a homophobe. And then inventing a nightmare serial killer scenario to spread more fear, fear-mongering of the trans community? That's just terrible. You're just adding to the oppression. You're greenlighting a great othering that leads to violence and persecution against a minority. So there we have it. Coroner talk. If you're a true crime fan or you want to be a coroner or you're interested in a deaf investigation, then there are episodes that you will find uh, useful and fascinating. But you've got a host whose uh, innate biases uh, will reveal themselves from time to time. Um, but he seems open to communication, so you can probably, you know, drop him emails uh, to give him your point of view. Anyway, let's see. Um, I'll give it uh, two stars. Police sound up. <laughs> A gong of sudden revelation. And, uh, oh yeah, a Decepticon taking a dump on a Confederate flag. Next up, Grief Out Loud. This podcast comes from the Dougie Centre for Grieving Children and Families, and it's a very worthy show. These people are professionals in grief counselling, and they've been doing this podcast since 2015. So they have episodes offering practical help and advice on all aspects of tender and difficult subjects. And it's just an amazing resource. They have shows on how to cope with grief coming at you in all different combinations. How grief changes with you, how to help kids cope with sudden death, how to deal with grief at work and as a parent and everything. I haven't found a show exactly about helping a passionate six-year-old 
get over the death of the tree without declaring war on the insect kingdom, but it has helped me to come up with a plan for what we should do. We're definitely going to have a ceremony for the tree, and we'll get outside and be together and express our feelings. Anyway, although Sierra's grief is deep and real, it's not of the magnitude of some of the personal stories shared on this podcast. I do want to thank everyone at the Dougie Centre for putting this out. As usual, there will be a link to their web pages uh, in my show notes, so it's there if you need it. So, grief out loud, five stars, uh, two thumbs up, a uh, big round of applause, some finger snaps of appreciation, and uh, a straight-up hallow. gathered here today to bid farewell to the Japanese maple tree. You made the garden look amazing when your leaves turned red and orange in the fall. It was like you had a flaming golden halo. The um, Y-frame shape of your trunk was also perfect for leaning on when we played in the sprinkler during the insane heat of the Maryland summer. We don't know what killed you, our neglect during the drought, the encroaching roots of the young dogwood, or maybe just some bugs. But we do know that we miss you. We will always remember you fondly as the beautiful tree in our front yard that died. As the second law of thermodynamics states, that the entropy of a closed system can only increase, or, as the late Jim Morrison summarized, nobody gets out of here alive, we look forward to joining you as our own microbes one day decompose and reform in some future beautiful forest of organisms that's enough sierra do you want to say something yes i wrote a poem i miss you tree you were as lovely as can be you were the best but i wish you had a nest i gave you hugs i hate the bugs you will be revenged Oh, lovely. That's really nice. That's better than Daddy's poems. Okay, um, Jen, anything to say? No? Blaze, do you have anything to say? I poop you. Okay, great. Let's go get ice cream. Ice cream! Mama, we're gonna get ice cream. Uh, ice cream? Yeah, that's what he would have wanted. One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Always forward. This is my mission, and I will complete it. Celebrating President George Herbert Walker Bush. Now reporting, George Stephanopoulos. Good morning, and welcome to our special coverage of the state funeral of President George H.W. Bush. It is a national day of mourning all across the country. Well, Bob, here we are at the funeral of the 41st President of the United States of America, so many people here to pay their respects. This truly is a nation in mourning. I haven't seen this many people crying since the army gassed those Indians up in Dakota. Or last week, when they tear-gassed those refugees on the border of San Diego. Right, Bob. 
And here is the favored son, George W. Bush, the 43rd president of the United States, another American hero, heroically bearing the grief of his family and the grief of his nation of heroes, so heroically. A true hero of our time, Chuck, since words have essentially lost all meaning in this plutocracy. And there's Michelle Obama, the former first lady. And George W. Bush has seen her. And yes, here it is, the moment we will try and make you enjoy forever. He's moving in for a hug. They really have developed such a lovely relationship. You can almost imagine them sharing a guacamole dip at the Bush family ranch. Don't be ridiculous, Bob. The Obamas aren't welcome in Texas. You're right there, Chuck. I'm sorry. But it is a sight to behold. Such camaraderie. The coming together of the races. So hard to see these days, outside of the courthouse or a heavily policed candlelit vigil. It's been reported that he calls her his chocolate scarecrow lady, and she calls him her little clan jester. Although I was told by a spokesman for the Secret Service that they have fielded repeated questions from the Bush team as to why he keeps getting seated next to Serena Williams and her dad. And there is the coffin. It is being pulled out of the back of a beautiful navy blue 1961 Lincoln Continental limousine. It looks like he's not being buried in his wheelchair as we earlier suggested. Apologies. Not even sure how that would work, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and there he goes. The 41st President of the United States of America, making his final journey home to the cold, dark crypt. A statesman, a president, a lying, mass-murdering, racist scumbag. Is that so, Bob? Yes. We had an intern do extensive research, Chuck. And it's the only conclusion we can logically come to, unless you're hell-bent on creating an illusion to maintain greedy billionaires as our lords and masters. I'm not exactly comfortable with the truth, Bob, so I'm just going to salute and say hero one more time. The nation mourns a hero. Now, back to the studio, where Wolf Blitzer and guests Oliver North, Elliot Abrams, and Robert McFarlane are going to discuss the floral tributes. <laughs> That's it. It's a wrap. Got a bit ranty and political there, didn't I? Not exactly what I had planned for the show, but what can I say? I care. Next week is very exciting. Gonna be doing my first co-review, bringing in my buddy Jeff Winkowski. We're gonna review the Myths and Legends podcast. The jazz is from Mario Rom's Interzone. Go check out their amazing work wherever you get your music. Andy's Podcaster Podcasting Podcast is brought to you by the American Shoe Council, celebrating over 2,000 years of bipedal history. Life is short. Don't go to the grave in bad shoes. Please send any thoughts, comments, or requests to Andy's Podcaster Podcast at gmail.com. And please, subscribe to the show in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye.